Welcome back for another episode of the AWG Podcast, where we discuss the biggest topics and trends in the water sport and boat tour industry. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and join our mailing list by visiting watersportpodcast.com. After you finish listening, continue the conversation in our Facebook group, Watersport and Boat Tour Operators. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, and welcome back for another episode of the Awkward Watersport Guy Podcast. We are going to be talking to Trish Higgins, co-founder of Chenmark and the CEO of Captain Fish up in Maine. And this show today is going to be about transitioning yourself out of your business. You know, what you need to know and maybe some tips and advice uh, before you make that decision. And I think like the off season is the perfect time to talk about this because you might have had a really great. Uh, season, or you had a terrible season, one of the two. Um, and you're thinking like, you know, do I want to continue doing this? Or, you know, maybe you've been doing this for 30, 40 years, and you're just not physically able to you know, continue doing this. And maybe there's not any really real opportunities to hand it down to someone in your employees. But anyways, there's a lot of uh, things, you know, that make, might make you want to uh, think about or go down this path. Yeah. Uh, you know, like when you have to like make sure my mic is working or if, because this happened a handful of times where you're like, Kevin, are you there? Like, can you hear everything that's going on? I'm like, yeah, no, I'm just listening. <laughs> like, but, like, it's rare that I shut up and just open up my ears. And, and then there wasn't not a lot of swearing in this episode. Uh, it was a lot. It was like piqued my interest. I had a lot of questions and um, I was very interested in, uh, obviously, like I have no real exit strategy with Destiny Water Adventures, but uh, I thought I found everything that she was saying to be really interesting. And there's a lot of things that we don't think about. We don't think about exit strategies. I don't think there's any entrepreneur that starts a business that's in you know four or five years that's going like all right how do i flip this thing like unless it's you greg but most yeah, of us I did. yeah <laughs> mo- mo- most of us came into this with you know we want to grow we want to take over the world like next year it's gonna be bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger but not a lot of people consider that that end of the at the end of the at the end of your business's life all of these decisions that you've made, you know, it's sort of the uh, like the spreadsheet, if you will. Uh, uh, it's like, are you going to get into heaven, or are you going to, you know, be sitting there going through hell? And I've I've watched a couple of my friends go through evaluations of their business and seeing what it's worth, and you know, it's like I think that uh, for all of us is probably would be one of the most stressful situations. So. I, I think that it is incredibly insightful to have Trish on and um, I definitely learned a lot and I definitely had to put on professional Kevin hat. And, you know, it was like when we had, uh, you know, what's Tim Murphy, Tim, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when we had Tim, I had to like, I know which episode that you're like, you're, you're just in learning mode because you don't swear and you don't talk a lot. <laughs> yeah, and it's true. It's true. And I, I do, so- but I did, I did like towards the end where you like, you just were like, popping off your seat and you're like, I got to swear. And you're like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you just had to get it out. Like it was, yeah. just, it was just in your, the pit of your stomach. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wanted, I was really hoping that, that, uh, her, her, one of her, uh, I don't, Jamie's like their marketing. If he's a yeah, partner, he's marketing, marketing. Director, I, yeah. I was really hoping he was going to be on. Cause he was going to be the fall guy for all my jokes. Like I'd never met Trish and I just, she's from Canada and I couldn't start like one, twoing her. I did at the end. Cause I was like, I had to talk about the cap and fish thing. Like I just, 
like uh, cap and fish, it just makes me think of like fish steaks. Like immediately I see like the Gordon's fisherman comes to mind. And, and so it was less about cap and fish. That was the in whale watching the water sports aspect of it. But the real meat and potatoes of this is like really sound financial and, and business advice. So these are, this is one of those episodes where those of you guys who want to get in the weeds and want to learn something, you really want to pay attention to this one. And uh, like I did, and I, it was a, and, incredibly valuable episode and, and I learned a lot. So it got me excited. Yeah. Well, let's great. get into the interview. All right. Let's get awkward. Hey everyone. And welcome back to the show. We're here with Trish Higgins, co-founder of Chenmark and CEO of Captain Fish. Trish, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. On the show today, we're going to be talking about transitioning out of your business. As we talked in the pre-show, you might be in a position where you're ready to get out. Maybe your things in your life have changed or you're at the point where you physically can't do it anymore. Uh, you have to make a decision whether to maybe hand it down to your employees or sell it or whatever. And Trish is going to help walk us through some of those points today that matter in that decision. So Trish, before we get into that, I'd like to hear a little bit about how you became the CEO of Captain Fish and how you started Chenmark. Sure. So I have a bit more of like a traditional finance background. That's what I did after college. I went to business school uh, and then was sort of at a period where I was looking for something a little bit different. And along with my husband and brother-in-law, just sort of a weird team, we had this idea of working with small business owners who were looking to retire and sort of transition out of their business. Um, and we saw that there's a whole swath of businesses out there in the economy that are too small for a traditional private equity firm to care about and a little too big to sort of sell to your cousin. Uh, so we sort of play in, in the middle there where there's enough business for us to kind of take over and have it be a, you know, an, an ongoing entity. Um, but you know, not sort of huge transactions in the, the scheme of uh, scheme of the global economy, uh, certainly. So uh, we had this idea. We started just Googling how do you buy a business, um, sort of learned a lot of lessons the hard way. Um, and we initially found um, a commercial landscaping company up in Portland, Maine. Um, and we moved up here and back in 2015. And that was our first business that we owned. Um, we always wanted to own a, a portfolio of these businesses. So we sort of learned with that first business and sort of have grown uh, to own a number of businesses throughout the US, um, as well as some up in Western Canada, which is where I'm from originally. So that's the Chenmark side of things. And we've got a lot kind of going on there. And the in February of 2020, the end of February 2020, so about a week before COVID hit, we actually bought a company um, in the uh, boat tour business, Captain Fish, up here in Maine, which does uh, puffin and whale watch and sightseeing trips, which when we bought the company, I became the leader of it. And uh, that's how we got sort of interested in the boat tour industry and um, certainly like it um, and see a lot of parallels with sort of the, the boat tour slash tourism industry that we've seen in a lot of other industries we've been involved with in terms of a lot of kind of owner operators, a lot of people who are, you know, have been in their business for 20 plus years, don't have a very good transition plan. And that's kind of the world that that we live in is talking to those those folks to figure out what their next steps are. So Trish, uh, really, really quick, let me, let me ask you this question. So you buy an owner operated uh, a business and um, you guys are obviously mentioned private equity. 
So when you buy this business, a lot of times like the owner operator is the infrastructure. How do you account for the loss of that person when they are by all accounts, a lot of times, and that might not have been the case in Captain Fish, but I'm assuming that when you're evaluating what kind of businesses you're going to buy, you have to be taking this into consideration because, you know, Trish with a business degree and from Toronto is like, you're not like, hey, I'm going to go out and bottom paint this boat, like as the owner of some of these businesses might do. So one, my question is in your evaluation process, like how do you evaluate? And then two, my follow-up to that would be is how do you replace that person who is for all accounts, the engine of that business? Sure. So a couple of different answers to that. So the first thing is that if, if the owner is really just a hundred percent of the business and the business relies on personal relationships for sales, let's go outside of boat tour industry. Let's imagine some sort of contractor who um, like a subcontractor who does like installations of pools, let's say, and the guy who owns it like is from that local community and went to high school with all of the contractors who subcontract his work and has known them all for 20 years. And he holds all of those relationships. That's where all of his revenue comes from. And he's looking to sell. He's going to have a really hard time doing that because the sales side of it is just um, very, very hard to replace when it's that like kind of personal relationship side of things. Those are the sorts of things that we would sort of stay away from because in that situation, you're not really buying a business. It's sort of, it's just a guy. Um, On the flip side, if there is somebody who's integral to the operations of the business, but not necessarily the sales side of the business, then as long as that person is willing to stay on for a period of time and help train kind of the new operations side of things, um, we found that that can be, uh, you know, certainly work, but a doable um, transition. Uh, And we have a a program at Chenmark that kind of brings younger people in uh, and gets them into operational roles um, exactly for those sorts of situations. Uh, Because you need somebody to step in and and, and replace the CEOs from an operational standpoint. The the best situation is that the owner is listening to something like this podcast and saying, hey, you know, I am that owner operator guy. I want to sell my business. I want to get top dollar. And they start thinking now about something that they can put in place so that in one to two years from now, they've got some other people who are involved in the operations who can kind of do the key things. So Captain Fish, the guy who sold it, he was certainly like in season because we're in Maine. So we only operate for six months. Like in season, he was there seven days a week, 12 plus hours a day, you know, doing doing real work on the ground. Um, But in our sort of discussions, we figured that there were parts of that that we felt comfortable replacing so long as he was available to help answer questions along the way. Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break and talk about our sponsors for the month, AMP Agency. AMP is a full service digital marketing agency that specializes in tour, rental and destination marketing. We would not have sponsors on the show if we could not vouch for them ourselves. AMP Agency does a bunch of stuff for Destiny Water Adventures. Personally, I 100% vouch for this guy. I've I've handed them over to other companies in the past before they officially became a sponsor, and they have had nothing but great things to say. If you guys are doing your own marketing and doing a piss poor job of it, do yourselves a favor, hand yourselves over to AMP Agency, specifically Steve Edwards, their CEO, will call you personally and have a great conversation with, with you about what you guys need to do for your marketing. Listen, guys, they do 
pretty much everything in digital marketing. Website development, maintenance, Google AdWords, PPC, graphic design, social media management, SEO, and a myriad of other things. When you choose a marketing company, it's so important to choose a company that knows your industry. And AMP Agency knows activity marketing especially water sports and tours. They got a promo going for Awkward Water Sport Guy listeners for their, their managed websites. Use promo code AWKWARDPODCAST when you go to amp.agency. Again, that's amp.agency, promo code AWKWARDPODCAST. You get three months free and get started with AMP Agency. All right, guys, let's get back to the show. So my follow-up question to that is just going to be another two-parter. Is, is One is what should businesses be focused on if they're if – they, are looking to create a uh, an exit strategy, one. And then um, two is how would you suggest that a business owner, because a lot of times you see a lot of things get mixed into businesses, right? And so you're trying to evaluate a company. I've seen people, and, and I was very well aware of this, like with, with my own business and not, not to say that I'm not guilty of it. Of course I am. We do try to keep things as separate as possible, but um, I've, I saw the sale or transaction of businesses before in water sports where it was just literally there was it was worth nothing because he couldn't there was, there was not enough like their income wasn't there. You know, it was like, oh, no, I'm this is what we're actually worth. And it's like, well, yeah. no, on paper, if you sell it through a brokerage, you're actually worth nothing or less than nothing. Um, so again, how can businesses plan for an egg? What's a proper exit strategy in your opinion? And then how do you, how do you sort of like delegate or I, I'm, I'm kind of like phrasing this. It's like, where's the balance between remaining profitable? And then also like, you know, you have a huge tax liability when you're showing that profitability. So walk us through that, that process. Yeah. So that is very much the world that I live in. Um, so I'd say that the most important thing if somebody wants to sell their business is to figure out how to have relatively clean financials. So like at the basic level, like you should have a business bank account and a personal bank account. Cause I've certainly seen people where those are the same thing and that's nearly impossible to work with. Um, then like, that's just like the basics. Um, then having financials put together for your business Um so either learning how to do that yourself or hiring somebody, which really doesn't cost very much money to have a bookkeeper put together some monthly financials for you so that, you know, you can, somebody says, Hey, I'm interested in your business. The first thing somebody like me is going to ask for is I'd like to see three years of financials. That's like the number one data request that we have. And so if it takes you six months to put together the last three years of financials, that's a bad sign. If I talk to you today and you're like, Oh, well, I have 20, 2019 financials, but like I don't have 2020 yet for some unknown reason or 2021. That's a, like a red flag that you're just not really doing your accounting very well, which makes it very hard to figure out like what a business is worth and whether it's interesting to us. So figuring out either how to do it yourself or how to hire somebody to get clean financials. And then it comes to obviously as a small business owner, you're trying to minimize your tax liability. And so most small businesses that I see have no earnings because they're, you know, kind of working the the system um, the way that, uh, you know, favors them. Um, so we always joke internally that if like 
you know, the IRS ever really wanted to step up their audit function, they should just like pretend to be a business, like a, a buyer of small businesses. Cause like people mm. just like run everything through their business. Um, but that's very, very common. I have yet to see any business and we've looked at thousands of businesses that do not have personal expenses being run through the business. It's just a norm. The question is the magnitude. So if you're making a million dollars of true earnings, let's just use, and you're running a million dollars worth of personal expenses through your business every single year, I would say that's fairly egregious. There's probably some level of, um, you know, maybe you're running your personal car through the business. Maybe your spouse is on payroll, even though they don't really work in the, in the business or your kids are on payroll. Maybe you took up some fancy holiday you're running through your business. Those sorts of things for a, an acquirer of small business, those are expected. What you need to do is to be able to account for them and to prove them. So if you say, oh, like to your situation, you're like, oh, hey, my business makes whatever, $100,000 of profit, but actually like on the books, it makes a slight loss. Like that's fine, but you need to be able to prove to me that you actually like, you know, that this is- Could have made a hundred grand. And she actually right. work in the business and these are our receipts for Disney World or whatever. So if you're going to do that, just know that you have to be able to prove it. Because like, I'm not going to take somebody's word for it. I, I had a buddy who was, he was like trying to sell his business or I was just trying to buy somebody else's business. It was a parasail boat and the guy, and, and, and he's looking at his financials and he's just like, like, he's like, no, I'm not, I'm not buying this. There's, you can't, you like, you want to, it was like 180, it was like a $50,000 discrepancy. And the guy's like, well, what if I showed you 50 grand in cash? <laughs> you're like buried in his backyard or something like, well, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, that's that's great. But when you if you go and put it in a brokerage, I can go pick it up for what it's actually worth. It's like $130,000. Like, right. you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like you're hiding money. No kidding. Like, we also, the one thing I have certainly seen a lot in this business um, is that people really don't report or keep track of their cash sales. And, and so that can be really tricky because a lot of times people will say like, oh, well, you know, Mike, whatever, the bar is cash and I don't track it. But they'll say like, oh, but like, trust me, like I made whatever, $75,000 on bar sales last year, but they have zero records of it whatsoever. Like for me, I'll, I'll give that basically zero credit. Uh, it's sort of like you can't prove it. Like, I don't know what you did with that money. Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. Um, it's very I'm if if I'm buying a business and I can't like substantiate the numbers, then I'm personally taking on like a lot of risk. Um, so I'm I'm just not going to pay as much or even be interested in a business that is is uh, like can't prove that it's making the money that it says it's making. Yeah. So, so Trish, I'm sure you've experienced this probably almost in every deal you've done or every conversation you have with a business owner, but they always believe that their business is worth three times more than what it really is. So maybe walk us through a simple valuation formula. Let's not complicate it. Let's just say, all right, if, if uh, your business is grossing this and has this, is there like a formula that you use that, that you quickly can apply just to kind of get a sense or pulse on whether or not it's something you want to look at. Yep. Um, so there are a lot of nuances to that question. So there's a lot of different ways. So if somebody's listening to this and they're like, oh, that's not the way I heard somewhere else. Like th there are other ways to do it. What we do is we look at a multiple of earnings. So 
We look at the simplest thing would be the the EBITDA of the business, so earnings before interest, uh, tax, depreciation, amortization. So it's like the true earnings of the business um, without taking into account like its its debt or its depreciation. So it's like the cash earnings of the business. And with the debt, it sort of assumes like, hey, whatever, maybe this person had debt, maybe they didn't, it would probably be different under us. So we just kind of look at that number as like a standard finance number. So look at that number and then we put a multiple on it. For us, we'd usually be looking at like, three to five times multiple for a small business. A smaller was going to be a lower multiple. We're often going to look at an average of a couple of years. So 2021 was a great year for a lot of people. And they're going to say, hey, like, this is so great. I should be paid a multiple on this year. And it's like, you know, if they can get that, that's awesome for them. A more conservative buyer like us would say, well, you know, 2022 might not look like 2021. So I want to make sure that, we're paying an amount that like allows us to um, not get into trouble if there's, you know, a, a downturn in 2022. Um, and so the, the conversation is going to sort of like the negotiation is going to be around what's the actual EBITDA number we should be using and then what's the multiple we should be using. Um, so that's sort of the conversation we'd be having. Often um, the person who's selling the business doesn't care about that at all because they're like, I don't care what the EBITDA is. And I don't care what the multiple is. I just want like the number that I want for retirement. And that's <laughs> the number. And sometimes, and you know, that's why we often will look at thousands of businesses and only end up doing one transaction because our perception of value in theirs often um, is different, especially at first. And that's where... Um, being patient can be helpful because often somebody will say, you know, maybe I'll say, I think your business is worth a million dollars. And they'll say, I think it's worth five. And we'll be like, well, that's a really big gap. And so what we recommend is if the person's not, you know, happy with us or whatever offer they're getting, then they should go out and try to find, you know, the test the market and see what is actually available to them. And if those, you know, and if they can get it, like good for them, they should 100% do that. But very often what we see is people will have an idea of what the business is worth. They might initially not get anywhere with us. They might go out, test the market, and then we'll hear from them again in sort of like six to 12 months after they've talked to other people. So typically uh, you'll get the highest price from a competitor that typically, um, and then also in this industry, you could just sell your assets. Basically, they're mostly just arbitrary numbers that businesses throw out there like I want five million. It's just a number that gets stuck in their head and there's no rhyme or reason why. Um I think it's believe from what I from what I hear when I talk to businesses, they believe that their sweat equity has a value and it's unfortunate, you know, that that's not going to happen. You know, I put a lot of work in my businesses and it doesn't matter at the end of the day, it's what the businesses. Uh, what about like, okay, so in the digital landscape and in, in our state specifically, there's things like, I mean, how do you like assign a value of like, say a website, there's traffic because there's a lot of e-commerce businesses out there that sell for millions of dollars. And, you know, they don't necessarily, this could be like an affiliate website with zero assets. And I take that and I, and I just, to me, I call it real estate. So I look at digital real estate and then versus like, like location for water sports. If you have a lease with somebody whether it be month to month and there, cause there's plenty of places that have literally month to month leases and the businesses have assigned a value to that and sold the business, as you mentioned to a competitor with an attached increase of value by 
$100,000 simply because there's five spots in that marina that allow for that particular tour, or there's a contract with the county and there's only so many of those contracts, or there's a lease attached to the business that's five, 10, 20, or 100 years, like something crazy like this. So how do you assign value to that? So for me, so how we would think about it is that the more, there are two components. There's the durability of the business. And then there's the growth opportunity associated with the business. So if I'm looking at a business that has great earnings, but has a month to month lease, I'm going to assign a lower multiple on those earnings because there's more uncertainty that those earnings could go away. Mm. So to me, like, you know, cool, you're doing that. But two months from now, I could not have a business. What am I going to do then? So that's going to be worth less to me than a business that has like a 50 year lease, I can be very certain that like these, this earning stream is going to be available to me. And it's worth paying more for that amount of for that sort of certainty and cash flow. So the lease term is going to impact the multiple. Um, the uh, the other thing, and so what's interesting about the boat tour industry is that it's, I get like a little financy here, but like it's mm-hmm. a little bit more like a bond than a stock because a boat tour industry is inherently capacity constrained. So like you can't have like Captain Fishes can't, can never become the next Facebook because we have a certain number of boats. We have a certain number of seats. I could tell you right now with our pricing, like other than filling up the boats and pricing, like there's a maximum amount of revenue and earnings that that business can generate. So it's more of like a steady reoccurring stream of cash flows. Whereas if you're talking about like a website that has affiliate links that maybe doesn't have a lot of assets in those situations, those companies can actually be valued much higher because they have unlimited growth potential because they aren't constrained by their assets, which which boat tour companies are. So that's why you can sometimes have these like super crazy valuations on things that can have a lot of growth, even if they aren't necessarily that big right now. Does that make sense? Yeah. And actually, it's funny. I was talking to somebody who's in the VC world and we were talking about valuations and we just, you know, start talking about TripShock. And he was telling me that websites that have the the scalability, like online travel agencies, they put the multiple on the earnings and not on the EBITDA. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. So once you start getting into more like online businesses and things that have a lot of growth and web traffic and stuff like that, then you're going to be talking like a much different paradigm for valuation. So yeah. I'm talking about a much more like traditional, this is how you value like like operating businesses that have like hard assets that are like traditional economy businesses, water sports, boat tours would, would fall into that. And you're going to tri- talk about like online, like OTAs, that would be a very different valuation. Well, I, I would just want to, I wanted to clear something up there. So, I, I mean, I guess I shouldn't use the e-com model. I should have used like my personal business model. Like if I'm putting together, like selling Destiny Water Adventures, like my online visibility my G, my Google, my business, my website, my, you know, again, so these aren't, you know, when we talk about sales, can you outs- can you outsource sales? I mean, to, to me, I see like, I see value in that. Like if somebody had a Google, my business for local SEO or a, a position in the, in the map pack uh, in the top three, because these are things that can't, 
I mean, you can you can backlink your way a, a lot, but there's got to I mean, there's websites that value websites based on the amount of traffic that you would pay Google for that you're getting organically. So when it when it comes to these sort of things, are you adding these in like as a business owner, should you be thinking about adding these things in when you're evaluating your company? So what so, yes, what I would say is that the fact that you're doing all of that stuff well is going to like should be showing up in your numbers in, yeah. in your financials. And uh, so okay, me, yeah, like yeah. it would be part, it's part of you just running a good business. It's going to show up in your financials. You're being paid a multiple on those. Right. So I wouldn't, because like your business is worth more than just the value of your lease and your jet skis, right? Like your business is worth more than that. Why is it worth more? You have good marketing, you have people come in, all those things. So to me, those things are actually like all kind of part of a package. So you're saying I can't sell you my business and sell my competitors like my website? Like no. I can't, <laughs> you know, like bring everybody in. <laughs> I personally think that your multiple will depend on, you know, your web assets. Like if you have really strong web assets, I mean, I'm sure Trish that that might play a factor in your multiple compared to somebody that doesn't have any website at all, but has good earnings because I mean, when we sold um, my jet ski business, we did a three X EBITDA formula plus the inventory, uh, cost, mm-hmm. whatever the, the value of the inventory that you know, we disagreed on, <laughs> but, but we still made it because, you know, there are depreciating assets, but we, but that's what we did. We did a three X inhibitor and I wouldn't have gotten a three X on it if it wasn't for how strong our web presence was. Like, well, I think what she's sort of saying, like, so let's just say you had, let's say for, if you have one jet ski and you're renting one jet ski business and if you had shit marketing and then you would draw in $8,000 gross sales and plus your one jet ski. But if you have great marketing, you get $10,000. And I think what Trish is probably saying then is you do that 3X evaluation times 10,000 because of the, you only are getting the extra $2,000 because of your website, i.e. you could evaluate that website at $2,000 times three. Right. right. Yeah. Like if your website had sucked, right, you probably right. one your earnings probably would have been lower. If they weren't, but your website still sucked, you probably wouldn't have gotten three times. See, I'm smart too, Greg. I'm not just here <laughs> for the jokes and swearing and stuff, you know, which <laughs> I have not really done in this episode, and it's sort of making me feel you feel a little awkward. Yeah, yeah I need to yeah. swear a little. Bit. Ah, <laughs> there we go. I got one out. <laughs> I thought Jamie was gonna be here. You know, I was gonna like. He was going to be the fall guy for the jokes. And uh, like, I'm like, where's Jamie? I need him here. So like, we can like, you know, give him a hard time about his LinkedIn and stuff. Trish, you don't know you. I haven't <laughs> seen your LinkedIn. I haven't gone on your Facebook page. I've had nothing to make fun of you about because I don't know you. I try to keep a low, I try to keep a low profile. Right. You're like, I'm from, I'm from, I'm from Canada. What do you mean? Make fun of me. I've never heard of this phrase before. Exactly. We're very, very polite. polite. Canada. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time in. Yeah. Okay. It's funny. I was in the Facebook group, uh, like maybe a couple months months ago and somebody was asking about how much their business is worth or you know uh, how do they value their website and this guy was adamant that his website was worth like a hundred thousand dollars like he just decided to put this price tag on there because he gets 15,000 visits a month and it was just a completely arbitrary situation and I, I but he's not the only person that has said things like that online or in person that they feel like their web assets are worth more than their inventory or anything else. But in some sense, if you're in a very competitive market and let's say you're number one organically, you're, you're number one in the Mac pad, like you are getting a majority of your business organically. Um, 
it's kind of a slippery slope if you're acquiring that company, Trish, and they lose all their organic. Maybe they 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 let their website go a little bit and they haven't been optimizing it. I mean, like when you are buying a business and you and you see that a majority of the business is generated organically, how do you approach that? Because that seems to be a risk on your part. Yeah. So I think like when we look at a business, we're looking at all sorts of different factors. And so for us, so what, if I saw a business that was generating most of its traffic organically, to me, that would actually be a potential positive in saying, hey, you could maybe like if you did some paid advertising here, you could actually like boost sales. Mm-hmm. So somebody like Jamie would be like super excited to hear that. And the question is, why are they get what is it about their market position that's allowing them to get like mostly organic traffic? Um, and so that could be maybe they have, you know, a monopoly in whatever their particular market is. Maybe there isn't a very strong competitive dynamic, like for whatever reason. To, for me, that would just be like part of the overall discussion about like, how do I think about this business? Like, why, like, why do we think that the earnings will continue on the way that um, they have in the past? So to me, it's kind of like part of like a broader holistic conversation. Now, mm-hmm. we are not, we would never just buy a website. So that's not something we do. I'm not certainly not an expert in that. I don't really know anything about like the business of just buying websites. So there are probably other people who could like talk a lot more intelligently about it than I could. Um, but for us, that would just be like one of many factors we'd be thinking about when looking at the business. Can we shift gears here real quick uh, to, to, well, I mean, I guess we have been talking about Chen Mark, but we've not really, but I want to, I'm like a little bit interested in that story, uh, so to speak. So you guys are like, so did you guys just like get together and like, all right, let's just like put money into a pot and start buying businesses. Let's start a private equity firm. And then was I like, uh, to understand it correctly, you just, you're just like Googled that. You're just like, yeah, pretty much. So, so like your whole business was based on a Google question and you're just like, ah, I spent all this money on college. Why did I do that? I could have just Googled it. So <laughs> you guys just got together and just started a, a private. Well, because it's like, I, I, I've got, I've got friends and like of our network and like people are, we're constantly like, all right, what's next? Like, what are we going to do next? Like, let's start another business. Like, and then I'm always like, oh, yeah, well, I feel like I'm going to be the one to start it. And you guys are going to put the money in. <laughs> and there's not like enough hours in the day. So um, walk us through that that process a little bit. Like, I mean, how many businesses does Chenmark own? So it depends on um, like how you define businesses. We have like seven brand names, but we've done well over, I don't know, 30 plus acquisitions because we do a lot of um uh, smaller acquisitions that are in our local markets where they kind of get absorbed into the the larger player. Um, it, it sort of depends on the industry a little bit. But when we started out, it was really a, hey, this is an interesting idea. Let's start doing some research on it. And then it was more like the more we dug into it, the more interesting it was until finally it was a, like, okay, like let's just, I mean, it kind of starts with, trying to connect with small business owners, either through brokers or just cold outreach and going to meet them and talk to them and see what they want. So it was a little bit of just kind of doing it. I think a big difference for us is, you know, we put in some of our like initial capital and some friends and family kind of um, helped us with our, our first sort of 
set up, but we don't have like a, a fund of external investors or anything like that. So for us, we use the cash flows of our businesses to purchase other businesses. So mm. we don't have um, like a fund has an end date. We don't have that. So when we buy businesses, we buy them with the intention of holding them for the long term. Um, and we're really our growth is predicated on how well our companies do. Um, so if our companies generate cash, then we can use that cash to buy new ones. If they don't, then we can't. It's pretty. It's like sounds like like what like 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 water sports. <laughs> like <laughs> and when people people ask me like all the time at, at the at the forum, it was a constant like the constant question I kept on hearing over and over again. I was like, well, how do I grow when it's just me in one boat? It's like, well, are you using all of your money to? pay yourself and pay your mortgage. And, you know, like, is it, if, if you're, if you need $40,000 to live and you make $50,000, then like never, like you're never going to be able to, you're never going to be able to grow. And so it's like the, every time I have this conversation with other operators, like you have, to, you have to figure out a way how to keep on putting your money back into your business. Like if you made $10,000, not a good time to go buy a car. Like you should right. go buy another The mindset of frugality is key to our model. So Trish, you, you got into, um, you know, boat, boat tour businesses for the first time with Catfish, that right? Yep. What attracted you to this industry? Was it that you saw an opportunity in the industry or was it more specifically to that business? And then moving forward, are you more bullish on acquiring more tour companies because of your um, success with Cap'n Fish? Like, I'm just kind of curious of what you, what's going on in your head. Yeah. So um, what attracted us? So we're looking for businesses we think we can own for the long term. So we purposely don't really do anything that's like techie or super high growth, like the sorts of businesses that you buy with the intention of selling in like two years or something. That's not what we're doing. So we're actually looking more for sort of steadily growing good performers that we think like if I think 10, 20 years down the road, this business could probably continue to do what it's doing. um, That's the sort of business that's interesting to us. And so when we sort of connected with Captain Fish, it was not an industry that was on our radar screen at all. But I really love learning about new businesses, new industries. So it's sort of a sure, like, let's let's think about this. And the more we thought about it, we said, you know what, like, we think that over the long term, t- there will continue to be massive amounts of tourism to Maine, the it's just a People come to Maine in the summertime. Um, and we think that when those people come here, they will want to go out in the water and they will want to see some wildlife. Um, and so we feel like the the demand, we felt like the demand was durable. And that's the most important thing to us. And so w- once we got comfortable with that and we got comfortable with sort of the operations of the business and everything, then certainly, you know, it, it made sense for us. It was a little different, but made sense. And now that we have more experience in it, um, we realize that there are other, you know, other boat tour water sports companies that certainly fit that thesis, you know, things we want to own for the long term, have a good competitive positioning in their local market. And uh, certainly something that we're interested in, um, you know, acquiring more um, as they come up. So we're not sort of, I would say, like, we're not like an aggressive roll up strategy where we're going to like go out and buy like a hundred in the next two years and rename them all like Trisha's boat tours or something like that. That's not our thing. We're more like opportunistic work with, you know, whatever owner looking to retire, um, kind of move on from there. So 
yeah, that's uh, it, but it's a it's a fun industry, and I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in it. So we're just kind of happy that we're participating. And I heard that you are going to be speaking at Arrival in San Diego. So sounds like you are getting yourself a little more ingrained in our industry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, I have for some reason we have a way of becoming involved in industries that like talking about this topic. <laughs> so, um, yeah, certainly excited to learn more about the industry because um, we're certainly not the most experienced people out there. But, you know, great to, you know, I think there are a lot of people out there that, you know, Chenmark probably isn't the right home for, but are interested in this topic of how do you, how do you transition out of your business? And so we're always happy to, be, to talk to people about that. You know, it's it's funny because there's something about animals is majestic that like people want to see them. So I live on the bay and dolphins come, uh, you know, every week we see dolphins and every time the dolphins come, every, you got to look to the left and right of the, my neighbors, everybody's outside watching them. Yep. They, they go to the shallow and they, they, they fish, but every week they come and it's a spectacle. Mm-hmm. And that's just as funny because you think like we'd be over it. I've been there a year, right. but everybody, they just, so like dolphin cruises, man. I I love watching people when I go on the cruises here. They get so excited. That excitement, I don't think, is ever going to leave people. And as long as that excitement and the majestic. Oh man, I was gonna ask you to say majestic again. I was gonna say, yeah. can you please say animals are majestic one more time? Yeah, and I know. Said it again. Thank you. Yeah, you love it. Did you love that word? But it's true. <laughs> it was such a weird segue, though. You're like animals are majestic. I'm like, I feel like it's one of those things. Being on in a beautiful setting, out in the water, and seeing wildlife is like a real human experience. And I think that people don't have that many out there. You know, like those real experiences. And so I think boat tours, sort of broadly, I think fits into this like overall trend of people wanting more connection either with other people or with nature and having real experiences one that they can have just for that special moment for themselves but also to put on instagram and show everybody how awesome their life is do you guys get do you guys get like hit up a lot like thinking that you're actually a fishing charter though because it's um, called yeah. Captain. <laughs> They're like, yeah, no, we go look at whales, and then then they yeah. like, yeah. yeah, do you murder them and eat them though? <laughs> no, no, we just we just look at them. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> like, yeah, like I was like really confused. Like I like when we, Jamie first reached out to us, I was like put, like trying to put the names like Chenmark. I thought was like I was like, is that a movie theater? Like Chenmark, <laughs> like Asian movie theater or something like this? And they're like, oh no, they and they she owns Captain Fish though. I'm like. What is going on? I'm like, let me look at this thing. And then he's like, on the phone. And I was like, what is happening with this with this group of people, man? Like, there's something <laughs> that's like not adding up right now in my brain. Like, and like Trish, I like waste the Captain Fish. I imagine like a guy with a white beard and like yellow slickers, and he's got like the fucking <laughs> bibs on. He's like, oh boy, come on, Captain Fish. And like Trish, and I'm like, I, yeah, I was so fucking confused. I was like, but yeah, I'm I'm glad we all made it come together. <laughs> but yeah, I'd imagine you guys get a ton of calls for people like imagining they're like gonna get some food. So you guys yeah. go out and look at whales in Maine. There's whales in Maine. Is that there's there are whales, whales in Maine? Maine and I had puffin, no idea. Puffins. What's like, a puffin? It's a bird. Oh, it's a cute yeah. bird, with like a yellow, yeah. yellow beak. Oh man, you know I thought there was a Pokemon. I thought like a puffin. Was yeah, like you a see, Pokemon you see them in like uh, the old Christmas movies. The puffins. What? 
Yeah. yeah. Puffins Christmas cartoons with just like animals. They're crazy for puffins. They, they love are them. crazy for puffins. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. You guys, I'm from Detroit, man. Like, I am so, like, out of sorts right now. Puffins? <laughs> people get excited about puffins? Oh, yeah. People come from all over the place. Really? Yeah. So, so you guys people look for puffins. puffins and whales. And, like, what kind of boat is it? Uh, Well, just so we do puffins, whales, um, sightseeing trips, uh, like seal watches, like lighthouse tours, all that sort of is stuff. It, is the boat like old timey? No, not really. Oh, meaning is like, is it a, it's not a schooner or something like no. that? No. Oh, okay. No. Yeah. It's like I conjured up all of these thoughts of now I'm now I'm going to like Google, like what is a puffin right after I Google <laughs> how to start a private equity firm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to follow your business model, puffin, watching puffins and, and starting private equity. So, exactly. Well, Trish, I, I think, uh, Greg, are you at your time? Or yeah, are you, yeah, we're at time. Uh, yeah, I could see you looking at the shot clock <laughs> over there, like <laughs> moving in your seat, like, God damn it, Kevin's asking weird questions. He thinks Pokemons are puffins and puffins are Pokemon. Here we go. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. And I've like, I'm, I'm certainly, you know, for 15 minutes to go by without me swearing or making fun of something, I'm just definitely interested. In, and I learned something, which is pretty rare. I think I know everything. So Trish, well, happy, happy how to can, be on. Great to chat with you guys. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah thanks Trish, for coming how on. can people uh, get in touch with you if they have any questions or want to connect with you? Yeah, so they can send me an email to Trish at Chenmark, C-H-E-N-M-A-R-K, or Trish at Catfish, C-A-P-N-F-A-F-I-S-H.com. Uh, it goes to the same email, so same place, same person. And uh, our website, www.chenmark.com, captainfish.com. Those infos also can get forwarded to me as well. So, And if any of you guys get hit up by Jamie Soros, he's an actual real person. He's a person. It's not, it's not a made up picture from India trying to sell you something. <laughs> we might have thought he was. I not can confirm or deny that. Excellent. And Trish, are you in our Facebook group as well? The water sport and tour professional. I am not, but I can be. Okay, great. You probably there. get a lot of questions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this yeah. time of year is when everyone's thinking about, should I do next year? Should I transition? And then they get into February, March, and it's like they forget about it. I get a yeah. lot of calls this time of year for people that are trying to transition or sell, or they're thinking about different life choices. But uh, yeah. wait, yeah. Till, wait till after a hurricane. Yeah. Yeah. That's Fair the enough. perfect time. Yeah. All right. Well, Tris, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate it. Great to meet you. We'll see you in San Diego in February. And Sounds good. As always, keep it awkward. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. And if you have further thoughts, questions, or comments about this episode, head to our Facebook group, Water Sport and Boat Tour Operators, to continue the conversation. See you next time.